0: Had this client on my trip who i had totally clicked with clicked with and um it turned out that she so i was also doing hiking trips and one of the hiking trips um i did was the cinque Terre along the the italian uh mediterranean and it turned out that i had her for a tuscany bike trip and then back to back uh cinque Terre hiking wow. trip and at the end of the second trip, she said to me, if you ever want to come and work for me, just let me know. She said, I'd, I'd hire you in a second. And I said to her, well, what do you do? Uh, because I didn't, she was on the trip as a pastor's wife. And so she was like, here's my husband, the pastor, and I'm the pastor's wife. <laughs> and so I didn't, I really didn't know what she even did. And, she's, and it turned out she was the COO of a $13 billion company.
1: I've been strangely flooded with random images of Sicily as we come up on the one-year anniversary of our trip there. I've been seeing vivid images of different vistas, ocean scenes, people, and I've actually been getting some of the taste showing up in my mouth. I've never had this happen to me before after we've been traveling. I'm not exactly sure why it's happening, but as I've been thinking about the trip, it has left me with a huge desire to travel again. We do have some upcoming trips back to Costa Rica in December, and then we will be leading two yoga retreats in Lucca, Italy next year but planning a trip to a completely new place is exhilarating. When we left Sicily, we both said that we had spent enough time there and were satisfied, but a part of me feels a need to go back. Anyway, I say all this because the episode today features Madeline Jawar. She started a company called Italy Beyond the Obvious and helps people plan their trips. I'm not 100% sure of the exact events as to how we found her, but she was a major huge help in our travel plans. She will help plan your whole trip from start to finish, or she'll help you plan bit by bit, depending on what you need, with really great guidance. I think at some point we'll do an episode about our trip to Sicily because it was a pretty epic adventure for both of us, but for now we can learn about Madeline and her company and her ties to Italy. I recorded this episode a while ago and I'm finally getting it out to you. There were some sound issues as this was the first episode I've recorded over Skype and as with anything we do, you learn something new every time. I did my best to boost the audio, but please bear with me. If you are thinking of a trip to Italy, make sure to contact Italy beyond the obvious. I promise you will be worth your time. The guides we were directed to and the suggestions of places to stay couldn't have been better. I am still in awe of some of the rooms we stayed in. The memories of waking up overlooking the harbor in Syracusa or being driven around the countryside in a beast of a Land Rover to taste olive oil while staying in a 15th century monastery turned home of the Knights of Malta and now turned hotel will thought for a long time that you needed a lot of money to travel and if you didn't have it you out of luck well as i'm learning that isn't the case there are items that cost money and you can obviously plan trips that cost a lot of money but you can also travel on a budget and see the world so pick a place and just go do it enjoy this week's episode okay so we're here today with madeline jawar and Madeline came into my and Tiffany's life through Tiffany's obsession with traveling and our upcoming trip back to Italy this, this October. And I'm not completely certain how Tiffany came across Madeline. We'll hopefully hear that story. But um, she's been a huge help and inspiration to Tiffany with our trip planning as we head to Sicily in October. So Madeline, thank you so much for making the time today to be on the podcast.
0: I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: You're welcome. And um, just for the guests, as we normally do, can you just give a little description or a long description either way of where you're located and where you are right now?
0: Right now, I am sitting in my home office in Menlo Park, California, and um, my kids are at school and my husband is on the road, and so the office is quiet. And um, it's a beautiful day here, and the roses are out, and um, I love this time of year. It's 70 degrees and sunny and really colorful. With I've got um, hummingbirds outside my window, and I've got a what they call a bottle. I'm originally Canadian, so a lot of this stuff is new to me. There's a bright red bottle brush tree outside my window, which is really, really pretty, Um, although I learned the hard way that you don't want to park your car underneath it because it has this horrible permanent sap that drips off. Oh, no. But it's gorgeous to look at. Oh, geez. So, yeah, roses and sunshine and bottle brush trees and hummingbirds uh, out my window.
1: Now, where in Canada are you from?
0: I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, so um, north of Montana, basically, in the prairies. Um, So, you know, in the cold and the dark, basically.
1: Now, because a lot of my listeners, well, I do have some listeners outside of the country, but most of them are kind of in our area. Can you describe what Edmonton was like? And, you know, because we don't hear much, except for the hockey team, you don't hear much about that part of Canada. So can you describe what it was like growing up there and, and all of that? Sure,
0: sure. Um, so I grew up in Edmonton in the 80s. So that was, for hockey fans, um, that was the epitome of the Edmonton Oilers. That's when Gretzky and Messier and all those guys were at the height of their careers. And they were a little bit older than us, but not a, little, a lot. And so I had friends who knew them pretty well. Um, and Wayne Gretzky was would skate um, at the neighborhood skating rink in my neighborhood. And so my brother actually skated with him a couple of times. Just oh, really? You know, just Yeah, just skating around the local hockey rink, like, um, so Edmonton in the 80s. Yeah, so it was, um, you know, we had, uh, there's a lot of things that I thought were normal as a kid that I didn't realize weren't normal until I left. Um, For example, um, you know, by Labor Day, uh, it was, we were wearing sweaters. (laughs) um, We essentially had 10 months of winter. Um, and to the point where I would take the bus to school and, and we used to check the um, number of minutes that exposed skin would freeze um, before we left for the bus stop. Because they would say, you know, anything, any exposed skin you have will freeze in three minutes versus five minutes. You
1: know,
0: so you and that was normal. It was like, okay, before you leave the house, kids, check on, you know, what, how long it'll be before exposed, exposed skin freezes. And we were like, okay, you know. Um, And then I left Edmonton and I was like, oh, the rest of the world doesn't do this. Um, So there were some things like that. And then summer was super short, uh, probably about eight weeks um, and super, super full of mosquitoes. Um, So and we would go to the Rocky Mountains. I mean, I grew up going to the Rocky Mountains all the time. My parents were huge camping, took us camping all the time. Um, And my dad was pretty hardcore. He would take us camping and skiing. Um, until my mom put her foot down and she was like, I'm not going skiing unless there's a hot tub. (laughs) Um, and then I moved to California. I mean, I moved, this is the 11th place that I've lived, but uh, eventually when I moved to California and we went camping and I was like, oh my gosh, camping is amazing. Like I'm not freezing. There isn't like a glacier, glacial stream. There are no bugs. Like camping is fantastic, you know, because when I used to go, it was all about, it was uncomfortable. It was, you know, I mean, it was still great. And looking back on it, it was a good character building experience, but camping in California is completely
1: different. We have a lot of people here in um, upstate New York in general that just complain about our winters because typically, I mean, we have a, usually we have a beautiful fall September and October, but around like the end of November and into December, it just gets cold we get a lot of lake effect snow so you know we we get a lot of snow off of lake ontario and that piles up and it seems like some years and this was one of those years where winter goes on we had we had a snowstorm in in middle of april um, where there was like accumulating inches but knowing i think we can take if people complain about it i'll just tell them to go to edmonton and then they can really see what winter's all about so yeah well, thanks well for sh- although
0: you guys do have really pretty fall colors and
1: stuff. Oh, it's gorgeous! Yeah, the the leaves. I mean, it's you. You don't see it like this in many other parts of the of the world. So, now, yeah. when you left Edmonton, where did you go from there? Um, well, so after high
0: school and before university, I went to Italy as an exchange student.
1: And is that where the kind of passion for Italy came from, or was that later in life?
0: No, that was my first trip to Italy. And um, I, uh, our family had hosted a lot of exchange students with the AFS program. And my mom had been very involved in the AFS program. So she had just told us, you know, when you are 18, you will be going on an exchange. And it was never like, do you want to go? Or it was just like, this is what you're going to do. Hmm. So, my brother and I just kind of accepted it. And our friends would say to us, Oh my gosh, you're going away for a whole year all by yourself. And we were like, Yeah. I mean, we didn't, it was never like, there was never like a question. There was never a chance for us to be like, Oh, do we want to do this? Is this scary? You <laughs> know, like
1: you're going. Yeah.
0: So, um, and I was lucky because you know everybody wanted to go to Italy and because my mom was so involved in the organization, we hosted so many exchange students um, that they just said, you know your children get their priority in terms of their pick for their countries And I was um, I was like, I want to go somewhere nobody's gone before and they had just opened up Russia as part of the exchange and so wow. I said, I'll go to Russia and my mom was like, Uh, (laughs) and I was like well my second choice is Italy and she's like Italy great you know yeah Um, so I went to Italy for a year um, as an exchange student and yeah that just totally totally I mean it was not an easy year I should say that it was not all sunshine and roses or all pizza and pasta and cappuccino
1: um, (laughs) there was a girl um who was on the podcast um a few episode, uh, episodes ago that we met when we were on our yoga retreat in Costa Rica. Um, and she was from Finland. And she did an exchange program and ended up out in, like, I don't – it's bad me to not remember, but I want to say maybe Nebraska or Idaho with a family, with a Mexican family. And in talking to her, she said it was, like, such a hugely transformative experience for her did you find the same thing like as you look back on it as an adult not I guess not only your time away but was it also transformative having access to the kids that came to stay with you
0: yeah definitely and I listened to that episode I really liked that episode yeah um, and I, I have I, I also I especially really like um, yeah I, I really, really enjoyed listening to to her story but um in terms of a transformative yeah it's you know it's so important so 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 important to be exposed to other cultures but beyond the um trying the food and seeing the sites and getting the superficial kind of checking the boxes it's so important to say like oh you guys do this differently and why do you do this differently and oh and so it opens your mind to like there isn't just one way of doing things and other people solve problems in different ways and to just kind of stop and maybe just not assume that the way things are done is the right way. Or, you know, I think it just, it takes a fundamental, it shifts your perspective in a fundamental way um, to be immersed. And I think hosting the exchange students is one type of, of immersion because you're constantly, People are asking you why you do things in a certain way, and it might be things that you never thought about. So hosting an exchange student has so many benefits, but then going to another country is, you know, a hundred times better just because everything, every single thing you're like, why do you eat this for breakfast? Why... Do you, you know, why do you eat lunch? Why do you eat dinner two hours later than I do? Um, Look how the buses work. Look how. um, I guess I I also think of it a little bit as a parallel, as like if anybody um, when you have kids. You know, when we had kids, my husband was like, I want to take them to the zoo and I want them to see the elephants and see the the giraffes. And I remember the first time we took our daughter to the zoo and we were all excited about showing her these animals, and she was like, Look at that stroller and look at that sign. Look at that. <laughs> and we were like, But what about the adam- look, what about the elephant? And she was like, and look at this, you know, pavement and look at this garbage can. And um and that was actually that was the same reaction that I that my kids had when we first took them to Europe. Like we were like, Look, there's the I don't remember what we took them to, whatever it was. There's the gondola in Venice. And they were like, Look at this bridge. Um, wow. Huh. At this sign. So it's because everything is different, like every – and so it's it really is um, – I could talk about that for hours, but I think that's the, the main the main takeaway is kind of open your mind and it makes you see like all these things I've been doing this way because I've never known any other way can be done differently Yeah, for good reasons.
1: Well, I think it's nice to develop that skill to be able to politely question – like what you know what we accept as rule and law and learn how to also do it in the right way and be respectful about it i think that's one thing that a lot of people struggle with is you know whenever they do try to challenge anything it's done in a very malicious selfish way rather than trying to step back and understand wh- why people are doing things and where it all comes from so that's interesting that that's where you know you gained a lot of that from was it hard going to a, a country as a high schooler where you didn't speak the language or did you speak Italian before you went? So I didn't speak
0: Italian, but I spoke French. Okay. Um, so I had done French immersion in Canada. Um, so the transition from Italian to French was pretty quick. Oh, okay. The, yeah. They're both romance languages. Um, you know, in French to eat is manger and in Italian it's mangiare. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and the, the grammar structure is, pretty much the same in terms of the sentences and so i picked up italian really fast um and people have told me i have an aptitude for languages and i don't know if that's true or not but i did pick up italian really fast um and um so so that was um that was that part was okay the challenges for me um were more um to do with, I would probably say two things. Number one was independence, and number two was uh, space or lack thereof. So, in Canada, um, in in the prairies, we had this giant house with four bedrooms and a basement and a giant yard, and you know there were fields. I mean, I was in the prairies, right? There were fields everywhere. Mm-hmm. The city was sprawling, and I moved to uh, Monza, which is a suburb of Milan or a small city outside of Milan, and um, I was living in apartments where every square foot was um, important. You know, like, there was no wasted space. Um, And so I was sharing a room, and I just had to learn to live in a small space, and it's a lot more about being respectful of the people that you live with, you know, cleaning up your messes and making sure that everything gets put back in its place. and, And it was challenging for me to adapt to that. Um, and I probably wasn't the easiest person to live with from their perspective because I had never lived in such a small space. Um, but then in addition, I was already 18 and so I had a certain um, level of independence at home. Um, and then when I got to Italy, the family I was living with did not want to give me that level of independence. Um, and they wanted me to stay home and study all the time. Um, And I had actually graduated from high school, so I kind of – I wanted to learn Italian, and I wanted to go to school to be social, and I wanted to learn – you know, we were studying, like, the Divina Commedia, Dante's famous Divina Commedia, so I wanted to learn, you know, cultural and Mm -hmm. history, um, but school was not my – I didn't need to graduate. Um, it wasn't my main priority. And so I didn't really think it was fair that I had to stay inside and study for six hours a day.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So
0: there was some a little bit of conflict. And, you know, now years later, looking back at it, you know, they were responsible for me. Mm-hmm. So I have a different perspective now looking back to say, yeah, bring in this child and you're responsible. You're not just going to say, go out and do whatever you want. Go, you know, go to downtown Milan by yourself. Right, um, right. So I I I understand more um, where the conflict came from looking
1: back at it. Now, where did you go to college?
0: So I went to Queens University, just north of you. In Kingston. Yeah.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, we sail we sail there a lot on the on the boat. It's a great city.
0: Oh. Yeah, I loved it. Beautiful.
1: And then, where did what did you study at Queens?
0: Uh, linguistics.
1: <laughs> okay, and where did that lead you after college? So um,
0: I was looking into a master's degree in linguistics. So I loved, um, I mean, linguistics is like the structure of language. What I really loved when I did my fourth year's thesis in was um, idiomatic expressions in different languages. So when you say someone is sharp as a knife, um, if you literally translate that into another language, does it make sense? Is it an idiomatic? You know, if I say to you, so-and-so isn't the sharpest knife in a drawer in the drawer or, you know, you know what I mean in English, but what if I translate that into Polish, like word for word? (laughs) Um, and when you sit back and you think think about how much, how many idiomatic expressions we use in our language, it's a lot. Like you, you don't even realize, um, how many there are. Um, and so I was just fascinated with how do these translate? Like, because, because partly was when I moved to Italy, um, I was, when I was learning Italian, um, one of the expressions that I kept, that I translated literally was, I can't wait for this to happen. Like somebody would say, oh, we're going to go to Bergamo this weekend. And I would say, oh, I can't wait, but I would translate it literally. And so in Italian, I can't wait mean is non posso aspettare. Like literally, like if you said, Um, wait for five minutes you tell somebody wait for me in front of the door for five minutes and they're like no I can't wait like I don't have enough time I don't have the energy I don't want to wait and so that's what I was translating and so I came off as this like impatient
1: (laughs) yeah yeah
0: I can't wait like I'm you know so once I realized that I was like that's an idiomatic expression that I'm translating literally that doesn't mean what I think it means. Um, and so in Italian, actually, if anyone's listening to this who, who wants to learn Italian, the, the expression is non vedo l'ora, which is I can't see the hour or, you know, I don't see the hour. And so literally to translate that, that's what, that's what you would say in Italian is I don't see the hour, I can't see the hour. So, um, so I got fascinated with this and I was actually looking into doing a master's degree in um, something along um these lines of uh in in that and then I got um uh hired I was working as a tour guide in a historic fort in Kingston in Fort Henry Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was working there as a soldier's wife and um I was like dressed there.
1: up dressed up as that? Yep. Oh man, that's so funny.
0: Yeah, I would do the guided tours. Um, and I did, for three years before that, I worked as a guide at the art gallery, and I was guiding, um, I was leading, uh, like, one or one an hour and a half long tours to um, elementary school children. Um, and they were art, tour, art tours, you know, they are an hour and a half, come and look at the art. And that was really more about asking kids questions. These were elementary school kids, but it was a tour guide. Um, and so then I applied for this job at Fort Henry and I, I did this, um, for the summer and I was guiding tours in, um, English and French and they didn't have, uh, Italian. So I was, but I was, I translated the tour into Italian and whenever any Italians would come, they would be like, Madeline, come and take these people around in Italian. And so I was kind of the impromptu ad hoc Italian guide. And so I did that. Um, but unfortunately they also needed their guides to speak German. And, um, I had taken high school German, but I didn't actually speak German. Um, and so I had the, you know, I had done three years in high school, like 45 minutes twice a week type thing. So Mm -hmm. I really had, I mean, I was like, say, hello, my name is basically, you know, and, and I could talk about this dog named lumpy who was like the, 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 the main character in all of our German texts, tech- <laughs> <laughs> This dog named Lumpy. Um, so I could say a lot about Lumpy, but um, to, there was a test that I had to pass to get into this tour guiding job, and, um, and, a, and I had no problem with the French. Um, but then I had to do the German test, and um, I basically just memorized the tour in German. And I had enough German that I could memorize it, but... Um, I could only recite the tour like a, like a robot in German, like I could just say it, you know, without really knowing 100% what I was saying. And I was talking about, you know, the history of the fort, and I was talking about cannons and soldiers, and it was like some pretty specialized terminology. Um, and so I just memorized it and delivered it, and um, I got the job. Um, but I started getting feedback from the German tourists because they would of course ask questions
1: yep.
0: uh, <laughs>
1: it's only so far you can go with that
0: right. so they took me off the German tours um, but that was I on the in that summer job um, I met people who were then talking about guiding in Europe and so that's where that window that's where those opportunities kind of, kind of came in i was like oh i could go do this in europe um and so i applied to a couple companies um who uh, to to be like essentially like a bus tour guide like Mm -hmm. those tour um leaders i think is is the more correct term um and so you lead a group of 20 people or whatever on a bus tour Um, In Europe and um, I did a few interviews with different companies and I ended up getting hired uh, by Butterfield and Robinson So they guide um, They do hiking and biking tours in Europe. Wow Uh, Yeah, so and it was actually ironically because of my German they were looking for um, a guy to go to uh, Bavaria and they said to me, and I had, you know, they said to me, do you speak German? And I was like, well, I had this job at Fort Henry leading German tours, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh,
0: which was completely true. <laughs> uh, and I said, uh, Really, I speak Italian. No, I said I'm fine and, and they had lots of French guides so they were looking for a German guide for the specific trip and then they said we want you to do this trip in in Germany and then and then we'll send you to Italy and so they said just do this German trip for us and then and then you're an Italian guide so I said okay great um, so and then I just then things morphed organically and I never, the The master's degree in linguistics just never happened.
1: Yeah. So have you been in the the tourism industry really since the time at Fort Henry?
0: No. So I I um I was with Butterfield Robinson for 15 trips. So I did three seasons with them. Okay. Um. So the way the trips work is because they're hiking and biking. Um. You. Go, Do kind of September, October, and then in early November, you take a break for the winter and then you kind of come back at the end of April and you do May, June, and then early July, it gets too hot. So the seasons are kind of nine weeks, nine-ish, ten-ish weeks, depending.
1: Um, so You were in Germany at that point or where in Europe were you primarily?
0: Yeah, I did one trip in Germany. Um, and actually, it was in uh, Bavaria, which was beautiful, but my um, high German that I had learned was absolutely useless in Bavaria. Oh. <laughs> it was, yeah, because they speak a different language down there, basically. Okay. Um. So that was a very challenging trip, and I, again, in hindsight, like... I was with, I was the second guy. I mean, it was my first trip, so I was the, you know, I was put with a senior guide who um, spoke German and had been working for the company for a long time and had done all these trips, and they kind of, it's trial by fire with these um, jobs, as you can imagine. There's a lot of skills. Like, you're driving a um, stick shift van that can hold all the bikes, and so it was a Renault, i don't remember the the brand the type the the model but it was a renault van and we could put um like 10 bikes inside and 15 bikes on the roof or something. It was a big van. Yeah. Um, and so you're driving this van. It's a stick shift van. You're responsible for 25 people. You're biking during the day. You're hosting them at dinners in the evening. You're dealing with the logistics of the luggage. And you're fixing bikes. You know, Wow. These brakes are rubbing. They're-
1: so you had to learn a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. Steep learning curve.
1: Were you much of a cyclist before you went and took this job? No. Jeez! <laughs>
0: and they weren't, but they were not looking for cyclists. So okay. You had to be in like decent shape, and you had to be able to ride a bike. But these are not, you know, Butterfield and Robinson is. Um, you have to enjoy cycling, and your body's on the saddle for four-ish, six-ish hours a day. Okay. So you have to understand that, and but there are different levels of trips, and
1: it wasn't Tour de of- France.
0: Not Tour de France. No.
1: Got it. Okay. No. no, no. Okay.
0: No. So you wake up. So basically, you wake up as a guide. You would wake up and have breakfast with the um, travelers, and what they want to know, basically, they want they want to know one thing. They want to know where are the hills, right? That's that's all they want. <laughs> okay. Um, and so so that they can pace themselves, and yep. so. These days we're like, you wake up, you do a little bit of cycling, maybe an hour, hour and a half, then there's some kind of activity. So maybe it's a castle tour, maybe it's a city tour, maybe it's um, some kind of activity. Maybe it's a cheese um, demonstration or an olive oil demonstration or something like that. Um, Or in Germany, it was a falconry thing. Um, and so then you'd cycle a little bit more and then you'd have lunch and then your lunch would be kind of an hour and a half to two hours. And then you'd cycle a little bit more and then you'd do some kind of afternoon activity. Maybe it's a wine tasting, maybe it's a, sh- a, you know, a shop along the way. And then you kind of get back to the hotel, and, um, get ready for dinner, and then there are these long dinners. Um, and so that was kind of a typical day. So some days we would cycle you know 25 miles, some days it would be 40, but there was nothing you know you didn't need to be like a hardcore cyclist.
1: Huh. Okay. I guess yeah. in my mind I picture people like whizzing all around and needing to keep up with them and but I guess not really. So that seems like yeah. a really cool a really cool job. So then you tra- then you got switched to Italy.
0: Yeah, I did the one trip in Germany and then I went to Italy. Yeah. And all the, all the rest of the trips I did were in Italy.
1: Okay. Yeah. So when when was it in the career span that the um, Italy Beyond the Obvious, your, your company now, when did you start to develop the plan to do that?
0: Well, so I was guiding for Butterfield and Robinson and I was getting um, tired. So, you know, I would do six trips back to back. Each day of each trip would be between 6 a.m. and midnight. And when you're 23, that's fantastic, you know. Um, but I, my clothes were covered in bike grease, and I was looking to do something else. And I had this client on my trip who I had totally click with, clicked with, and um, it turned out that she – so I was also doing hiking trips, and one of the hiking trips um, I did was the Cinque Terre along the the Italian uh, Mediterranean. And it turned out that I had her for a Tuscany bike trip and then back-to-back uh, Cinque Tierra hiking wow. trip. And at the end of the second trip, she said to me, if you ever want to come and work for me, just let me know. She said, I'd, I'd hire you in a second. And I said to her, well, what do you do? Uh, because I didn't, she was on the trip as a pastor's wife. And so she was like, here's my husband, the pastor, and I'm the pastor's wife. <laughs> and So I didn't, I didn't really didn't know what she even did. And, she, and it turned out she was the COO of a $13 billion company. There, you know, let's talk about warehousing and let's of the 20 things within warehousing, let's pick one process and then let's go around the table and say, How do you do it? Um, Aero Stockholm or Aero Sweden, now, how do you do it? New acquiring company, yeah, and you know, how do you do it? Aero Finland, and well, Aero did it all the same way, but how do you do it? So, these companies that are coming from the outside, um, have different ways of doing things and so it was really about listening and saying why do you do it that way you know is that a good idea can we learn from you can you learn from us and let's all figure out the best way um, to do it and maybe we'll all change you know maybe just because you're being acquired and coming into this company doesn't mean that what we're doing is right yeah um and that was a huge um uh that was, a hu- that was a thing that I had learned years and years ago, and I kept having to go back to New York corporate um, and say, just because you're corporate doesn't mean you're right. And they didn't like that. Um, and so it was an ongoing conversation about, you know... And it wasn't, you know, they weren't... I wasn't a spy, or they weren't telling me to report back. I mean, I really was there to facilitate this integration and make things run smoothly. But it was just so interesting that, um, you know, sometimes I'd talk to people in corporate and they'd be like, well, we have all these procedures written out and, you know, I'd say, well, we, we we can't do that this way in Sweden or in Norway. It just doesn't Mm. work like that. Like it's, and you know, so for example, one, one thing, um, is we had a, um, you know, Sweden was kind of the corporate center of the of the Nordic region, and there was a newsletter, and um, the an American was another expat was doing the newsletter, and he chose the colors for the newsletter that just he thought they looked good, um, but as it turned out, they were the colors of the Swedish flag, the yellow and the blue, mm-hmm. and so he sent out the newsletter saying, "This is the Nordic newsletter," and.
1: Like oh no. Yeah. And
0: the, oh, nuts. and the Regions were super bad. Oh. They were like, this is a Swedish. And he didn't, he was like, it's blue and yellow. Like it's just a pretty yeah. color. And they were like, no, 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 no. You <laughs> it, you know? Um, so there were things like that, that would just make you stop and, 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 and kind of learn.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: So, um, and then, and then after that assignment ended, then I went to Italy. Um, And then, um, and I know you asked me about Italy beyond the obvious. So, um, I was ever since I worked as a guide for Butterfield and Robinson, I was creating itineraries for people on the side. So for 10 years, so the time after between Butterfield and Robinson and the start of when I founded Italy beyond the obvious, there were 10 years. And in those 10 years, I was creating, um, itineraries for friends and family on the side.
1: Um, just for yeah. fun.
0: Yeah, just for fun because yeah. I loved it. And not only that, um, if people didn't – if I didn't know somebody going to Italy or I didn't have anybody to help, I would go on to TripAdvisor and just write essays for people hmm. with advice, you know, just because I loved it. Yeah, I like, wow. I have, you know, I have this good idea and that good idea, and I know where you should go. Because th- with Butterfield and Robinson, you know, I created – I. Create, I didn't create the trips; I executed the trips. So the trips were were created by by a trip planner, and then I just had to execute. You know, I just had to pull twenty four people through the pre created trip. Right. So I saw firsthand. You know, I was with these people on their on their dream vacations. So I saw firsthand what a dream vacation is, what people love, what, you know, what Italy's wow factor is. I mean, I had a front row seat to this um, over and over and over and over again. So I just had a really good idea of what it, what it is, you know, what is that wow vacation and how to create it. Um, and so I just, that's what I was, that's the type of advice I was giving people. And that's, I just knew um, how to, you know, how to do it. Cause I'd done it. Um, so then I ended up leaving arrow, um, when I had my first child, um, and you know, I was traveling about 50%. My husband, oh, so in there, um, I met my husband, lived in Italy with arrow for two and a half years together. Um,
1: and he, where is he from?
0: He's British. Okay. So yeah. So we met in Stockholm about a month before I moved to Italy.
1: Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, yeah, he he
0: he was you know I was um, my I had again a work visa that was expiring and I had a new assignment all ready to go in Milan and I met him and I was like you seem amazing but I gotta go Um, so we commuted between stocky and he had just moved oh
1: jeez wow.
0: So, and he was going to be there. He had been, um, he had had a startup that was acquired by Microsoft and Microsoft had a comp- had a headquarters in, in um, Stockholm. And so he had just moved there as, as being, you know, in this company that, that had been acquired. So, um, so we went back and forth for about six months and um, he was really like his, he's of Indian origin and he, although he grew up in the UK, his family was like, you need to get married. Like it's time to get married. And I was like, uh, I'm going to Milan. So, you know, this is not my priority right now. So, um, so he moved. He wow. Moved to
1: Milan. He
0: quit his job? Yeah. He wow. His job. So, yeah. And we've been together for 17 years. And to this day, he gets points for that.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, really, like, that's incredible. So, so about what time was it that you started to say to yourself, I've got I've I've got all this stuff for Italy. Like, how do I start to quantify it? So I.
0: Um started when I quit Arrow. So we were living in Boston and, um, actually we, we left Boston and moved to Chicago and I had a child and I'd quit my job to stay home with her and I wanted to do something else. And I was doing this stuff on TripAdvisor and my husband looked over my shoulder one day and he said, you should charge for this. Cause he said, the advice that you're giving is unbelievable. Yeah. And I was like, huh? So I, um, started looking into kind of the travel industry and it was this overwhelming behemoth and I didn't know couldn't make heads or tails of it and it seemed like there were all these organizations and consortium consortia and conferences and I was like I I just want to create trips for people and get paid for it yeah so I totally shoved all of that to the side I put up a website I decided I was just going to charge fees for my time, like a consultant. Um, and I started writing a blog just to kind of show that I was an Italy expert just to get content out there, um, just to kind of build a reputation and a brand. Um, and I didn't, I've never enjoyed selling. I didn't want to be like, call me for more information. You know, I was just like, here are my fees here's what I do. If it's a good fit for you, if it resonates with you, here's how much it costs. Um, and that was 10 years ago. Um, and we've grown, um, I say we now cause I've got two people working for me, but, um, I've grown every year. So, and there were, you know, there were, there were a lot of, it's gone through a lot of stages, you know, um, the person uh, who works for me full-time her name is Claudia she just hit three years with me so the first wow. seven years was just me um, and I was probably not full-time until about year two maybe year three um, and then I was turning people away um, for several years in a row until I kind of stabilized my fees I would, I would re- increase my fees to kind of quell demand Um, and then I pulled Claudia in to help with the demand. Um, and then I hired someone this year to help get me through high season.
1: So are there really that many people who are contacting? I mean, I have no concept of this because for starters, I don't ever plan our trips. Tiffany always does, no matter where we're going, whether it's to Canada for a yoga workshop or to Italy or, or you know, the Virgin Islands, whatever it might be. Tiffany just does it all. Um, so I, I have really no concept of like, I mean, I know there's a lot of travel companies out there that do, you know, like they'll book your flights and your hotel and all of that kind of stuff, I, I guess. But it seems like from Tiffany's experience with you is that you have a very... Personal connection with a lot of the people who you're referring her to, um, and a very personal connection with a lot of the things that you're suggesting that we do. When because we're going to Sicily, we're in, I'm, and I never really realized this, but from what it sounds like, Sicily is kind of its own country unto itself, and its own you know kind of slight take on the Italian language and all sorts of things. So. It's hard to cover all of it, and it sounds like you've spent – I mean, you've obviously spent a lot of time there, but it, I, I just can't even imagine how you started to develop all of these things and connections and experiences.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all – there's a lot, whole bunch of great points, a whole bunch of great questions in there. and some. I'll start by saying that um, I would make a distinction between – I'm an Italy destination expert. Um, and so let me just describe for a little for a second the difference between a travel agent and an Italy destination expert Um, and so a travel agent will um, talk to you and find out what you want to do and then they talk and and, and they can do the whole world right they can do any country Um, and they will use a tour operator in that country. So you say, I want to go to Thailand. They have a relationship with a tour operator in Thailand. So I want to go to Italy. They have a relationship with a tour operator in Italy. They'll contact that tour operator and they'll say, put together an itinerary for my client. The tour operator will then contact a desk may, may contact destination company, um, who are destination experts. And though that destination company will then source, you know, guides directly, drivers directly, activities directly. And so between the uh, travel agent and the guides, there are usually a couple of layers. Um, so the guide will mark up to the destination company. The destination company will provide their services and mark up to the tour operator. Mm. The tour operator will bundle everything together and mark up to the travel agent, yeah. and the travel agent will mark up. So there's a whole bunch of levels. and you know this is the business this is the travel agent business model so and it's not a I'm not, not there's a, I have nothing against travel agents yeah. you know yeah. you know many excellent travel agents the plus is that they can do the whole world yeah. you can have a relationship with your travel agent and you can call them year after year and they can send you different places year after year and there are some places that a package trip is the right solution like Africa for example you know I would I from what I've—I've I've never been to Africa, from, but from what I've heard, you want to go with a package trip. And you know, I've been to India um, several times um, because of my husband's family, and I would not touch India with a ten-foot pole. If somebody said to me, "Could you do a trip for me in India?" I'd be like, "No, contact your travel agent." Yeah. because you need um, that package, but. Italy, for Italy um, the people that work with me I'm the destination expert and so I go directly to the guides I book I have relationships with the drivers I so you skip all of those levels and so you also save all those markups and working directly with me but what it means is over the years I mean it's now been you know 10 years that I was doing this on the side plus 10 years of Italy beyond the obvious. I've been working with some of these people for
1: wow. 20 years. Yeah.
0: And so I've got a lot of relationships and because I charge fees and I don't rely on, um, commissions, um, I tell my guides and my drivers and anybody who takes care of my travelers on the ground, I tell them, you take care of them and I will keep sending you business. And so it's not, there's no kickbacks. I don't get paid um, by any of the guides or drivers. I just say to them, you bend over backwards and you take great care of my travelers and I will keep sending you travelers. And they've seen that that actually does happen um, over the years. Right. And so I've got these extremely loyal uh, people on the ground. Um, And so what what that means is that I'm able to say, um, like to your point about being personalized, like I'm able to say to people, do you want a five five star experience versus do you want to meet the locals? Do you mm-hmm. want to drive your own rental car versus do you want a driver? And so, just over the years, I can kind of take any level of um, you know any type of activity, any type of level of VIP versus you know DIY, um, and I can pull out my customized recommendations, and I can put them all together into a completely personalized trip that is ideal for that
1: traveler. Now, in your opinion, in all of your experiences and travels to Italy, what are what are some of your like most favorite places to go or things to do?
0: Um. So it depends on what month. It depends who I'm traveling with. Um, it depends on, um, yeah, those are, the, those are the main things. Me personally, um, it, so me personally, I mean, I can, I basically, last year I went to Italy in high season, but I can basically never go in high season because that's when, A, I'm the busiest and I yep. have the most work.
1: What is the, what um, would be the high season for Italy? Uh,
0: June, July, basically June and July. And I also can't go in August, August. I just avoid August. I tell everybody to avoid and I avoid.
1: (laughs) Why is that?
0: Um, Well, Italians go on vacation in August. Okay. So that means two things. It means that um, they close whatever business they're working in so a lot of shops and restaurants and things are just closed in august and in particular um the week of august 15th so august 15th is a major is the major summer holiday it's called ferragosto and businesses like small businesses um will just close over that week so if that week if that if ferragosto falls on a monday then you know, that, that, that whatever that week is the Ferragosto is in, places close. And Italians often take their summer vacations um, over that week, and then they add another week or two on either end. So, so number one, things are closed. Number two, um, because Italians are all on vacation, and because they all vacation in Italy, um, Italy it, the beaches are packed, mm. the, the, all the seaside resorts are packed. Um, and then because of that things are more expensive you know everybody raises their rates because it's high season and in addition to that um, the customer service is not as good you know the 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 vendors are tired you know because because high season in Italy really starts you know kind of June 1st okay so by the time you get to August 15th they're tired they're yeah. you know they're they've been going full tilt for 10 weeks and um, and uh you just don't get as good of service um and then the other thing is it's really hot so i just for all of those reasons i i avoid august um but back to your question about where do i go um i when i when i go on my trips i try to do three things i try to um see friends (laughs) which is not my priority but i mean it is my that it's for a work trip um my priority isn't to see friends, but I try and do three things. I try to discover one new place where I've never been. And I try to go back to somewhere where I haven't been in a while just so that I can cycle through places and, you know, um, and make sure I'm on top of things. And then, um, and then yeah, see friends. So those are the three things I try to do. Um, but uh, one of my, yeah, I'm trying to think of, you know, I mean, I, I love, there's so many places I love in Italy. I love the Dolomites absolutely love the Dolomites. I love Sicily. I don't know. There's, 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 you know, easily 10 um, that I'm happy to go into if you'd like.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, I just wanted to, I don't know. I mean, for somebody that's been there so much, I, you know, I didn't know, I mean, I've only been there once and from my experience was that we spent three days in Rome, which was cool to see. But then, like, when, as soon as we got out of the hustle and bustle of Rome and headed up northeast up into the hills, you just start to see all of these incredible, like, old cities built into the mountainside. And then we were up there and, you know, you're driving through the olive trees and you're just driving on all the country roads. I mean, I found to me that the kind of the, the countryside, the, the slightly more undiscovered um, areas – were so much more intriguing to tiffany and myself and we felt like so much more relaxed there versus our time spent in rome um you know but i think we're not super metropolitan people big cities are not our thing to begin with so you know i mean and i think for us going back the when she had mentioned going back to italy and i had mentioned sicily not realizing you know, I said, were. Well, I'd like to go to Sicily for a couple days. But then when she started, when she came across you, she was like, well, no, we should just spend the whole time there. Um, it, it, Sicily really excites me because, I mean, the, we're going to be able to spend time in like cities, quote unquote, to a certain extent. But the, I feel like there's also it's just I like the old aspect of it.
0: Mm-hmm. oh there's tons of history yeah well in sicily you get the african influence and so you'll see couscous on the menu yeah you know um where you the, that you don't see in the rest of italy and then you see you know to your point about the big cities versus countryside i mean you get sicily you get it all like yeah when i create itineraries i always kind of look at the flow of the destinations in terms of a balance so like big city, small city, countryside, seaside, mountains, and then put that into a mix that's, you know, so you're not going big city, big city, big city, you know, so you maybe do big city and then the mountains and seaside, you know, and Sicily just has that all in one. Like you, you know, you'll, you'll see, I mean, you'll do, you know, you've got big, bustling, chaotic Palermo or Catania, and then you've got great smaller cities that you can explore like Cefalu. Um, And then you've got, you know, tons of seaside, obviously it's a, it's a, it's an Island. Um, and then you've got a gorgeous countryside, lots of great exploration and you have to be a little bit of a, like you guys are, I'm not worried about you. Um, but you have to be a little bit go with the flow. Um, you know, um, I I had one of my, uh, guides in the Baroque South, which is the area where the the towns of, uh, and Ragusa, um, are, and um, this was years ago, and I was asking her for advice on how to meet these travelers, and she said, tell the travelers that they should have a GPS, and they should have a paper map, and they should look at the road signs, and when they come to an intersection and they're not sure which way to turn, pick the best two out of three. (laughs) You're you're, you're never gonna get three out of three. Like, you just have to look at the road sign, Look at the map and look at the GPS and, you know, yep. you're never. And so she said, and, and I can't tell you how many times people have said, we got totally lost. We pulled over and asked somebody and the Sicilian was like, oh, yeah, like this is my reality. Just follow me. And they literally jump into their car and my traveler was like, they just drove me to my destination. Yeah. I just followed them because the Sicilian, they're on the same boat. Like, it's not like you're doing something wrong. They're like, I don't know. This is our reality.
1: Like, we know that you're lost and we know that you can't, you know, we understand. Yeah. So- oh, that's really cool. Well, we're, we're really excited. I mean, Tiff, like every time she gets an email from you, she's just like, oh my God, check this out. And she's just like freaking out. So. We're super excited and we'll definitely do a recap of our trip when we come back. But um, so as we kind of wrap up here, for people, obviously, if anybody's going to Italy where they're going to contact you, we'll do whatever we can to make sure about that. But for people traveling to other countries and trying to kind of put their own itinerary together, are there like, you know, three or four tips that you could give to people to kind of get them on the right track with starting to, you know, maybe even figure out like where, what country it is they want to go and visit?
0: So that is an interesting question. And I get so many people contacting me to say, tell me how to do what you do. I want to do it for X country. I mean, literally, I I get so many of these requests that I had. I set up a separate email folder in my email. Wow. So I actually have coached people through how to set up what I do Yes. so, um, I would, in in terms of a trust, so these are people who are destination experts for other countries who want to do what I do. And and your question is about the more about the traveler.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, well, actually, Um, but on on that note, do you ever, and then we'll come back to the traveler part of it, but do you ever see yourself? expanding into other countries or is, is Italy just kind of where you want to remain the expert and just be really, really good at Italy and not offer something watered down potentially for another country? Yeah, that's a great um,
0: question. And I um, bought the URL France beyond the obvious um, because I get so many questions of people. People will come back to me, two or three times
1: right mm-hmm. and
0: then and then the third or fourth time they'll say okay we want to go somewhere else yeah
1: yeah cuz
0: when we create their trip like with you guys you came to me and you're like maybe we want to go to Sicily we want to go to these five other places and then now we're doing Sicily. And so you guys have your B list too. And so people often come back and they're like, okay, here's the li- pull out the list of the places that we talked about last time where we didn't go. And so I'll often work with people two or three times, but then usually what happens is they're like, we want to go somewhere else. Where What else do you do? And so I thought, well, and the most common requests I get is for France. And then after that is Spain. And then after that is probably the UK, although there's a big gap there. Um, and so I did look into um, expanding, and I don't think it's a good fit. My, my Italy knowledge is so deep mm-hmm. that and, – and I do – I mean, I actually – have spent about a year in france i speak french so france would be the most logical place for me to move to but when i did i did a couple of trips for people kind of as favors and i realized that it's not i I told them i can do france the bleedingly obvious you know yeah like if you want to go to paris and provence no problem i can do four days in paris and a week in provence no problem but I cannot offer the same depth of knowledge in as I can for Italy, even though I've spent, you know, a year in France. Like, um, and so I think my approach is going to be to um, find people who have the depth of knowledge that I have about a different country, and then teach them my processes. Mm. Because I can teach a lot. I can actually teach. If you, and I, I tell people, there's two things I can't teach you. I can't teach you um, the, the country knowledge. You have to have that. You have to, you know, I just, um, you know what, you, ha- you have to already have the knowledge about the country. But if you come with me, come to me with the knowledge about the country, um, I can teach. Oh, I was going to say the second thing I can't teach you is, um how to convince people to pay you for the work that you're going to do. Yeah. So I have a very specific background and I can say based on these nine things in my specific background, here's why I think you should pay me. Here's why I'm worth it. You know, here's why you should pay me. And so I can I say to people, you have to have the background or you have to have the story or you have to know what you're going to tell people for why they should pay you. I can't. I can't do that for you. I don't know what your background is. I don't know, you know, I can tell you Uh, general reasons you can say you're detail oriented and you're you work hard and you care and all of that that's all kind of anything some but something anyone could say but i said if you have if you think you have the right background and you have the knowledge i can tell you how to do it it's a process and it works and i can totally tell you how to do it
1: well maybe you have like a little market and a little you know university coursework right there like online or something for people down the road
0: I'm getting so many requests that, to be honest, I'm starting to think about that. Like a little training series. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it what it might be, but I, I I'm and I, I'm remote. I'm coaching a, a few people where I'm like, send me an email with your questions, and I'll get to them as I. Um, if I have five minutes here and there. And so there's a few people who I'm kind of holding their hand through because it takes, you know, like I'll say to them, you need to think about what your product is. And then here, here are the questions you need to think about. And they'll go away and come back and be like, okay, I thought about my product and here's what it is. And I'm like, okay, now you need to think about your market and you need to think about your pricing. And now you need to think about a website. You need to think about SEO and you need to create content for your website. And now you need to, you know, and so I kind of walk them through just over email, you know, um and so i've now got 3 of these that i'm doing kind of just cuz i think it's fun and and honestly selfishly um it's good for me if there are destination experts out there that yeah. charge fees
1: for service yeah now, sure it's good to have this industry that's different from
0: a typical travel agent Um, with all of, and, and, and people say to me, I don't understand the travel industry. And I'm like, forget the travel industry. Don't worry about the certifications and the, it's totally different. Yeah. You you know,
1: well, I think it's been, I think it's been cool because you've been able like in Tiff, like Tiffany emailed some old, old woman who does cooking classes And she didn't hear back from her for a little while. And then so your reply to Tiffany was, well, email her back. And in the subject line, say, this is my last attempt. And then like an hour later, she got an email back. You know, so you have you have these relationships with these very specific people um, that you wouldn't get otherwise. So I I think it's great that you're sticking with Italy. And, you know, I, I think it's incredible what you've created. So give me the tips for people looking to kind of travel. Where, where do they begin to try to figure out like what country they want to go to or, or try to be, you know, plan something like this?
0: Oh my gosh. So what country is, I I don't know what advice to give for that because usually people have bucket lists, you know, of okay. countries. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure how I would, and I haven't been to every country. You know, I've, I haven't been. Um, I haven't been south of Mexico, so I have not. You know, I haven't sure. been to South America, which is you know ever many countries. So there's lots and lots of places that are on my list that I haven't been. And and part of that is because having a British husband, being Canadian, having the Indian piece of the family, um, and with my Italy travel business, and then um, my husband's sister lives in Switzerland. We have kind of places that we we cycle through yeah and that's
1: really (laughs) awesome i'm super jealous
0: they're they're all amazing places um it just means that we you know we we, we're always behind like we're always oh my gosh we got to go to india oh my gosh we haven't been to switzerland in years oh my gosh we got to go you know to canada so we, we actually don't and i'm and i'm always going to italy and so we all we actually don't do um we we don't hit new places very often. So in terms of the where to go in the world, I'm not the best person to, to ask that. But in terms of how to approach it, I would say it's about asking questions about what type of traveler are you in terms of how go with the flow are you and what would you like to have booked in advance and then applying that to the specific country. So like in Italy. Um, I know, you know, you have to have hotels booked in advance. Like you just cannot show up. Like I used to, I don't know if you did the backpacking thing ever in Europe, but you know, we used to take the train and show up and find a place to stay that night. And you cannot do that in Italy in hmm. the season. Um, and then there's just a couple of, and then you need to find out, um, what's going to sell out in advance and so in italy um the vatican museums will sell out in advance the leaning t- if you want to climb the leaning tower of pisa that will sell out in advance if you want to go to the uffizi gallery in florence that will sell out in advance these are not things that these none of these are places where you can show up and wait in line and and get in i mean they'll be sold out
1: mm-hmm. and so
0: you need to know and in india for example one thing that sells out in advance are the trains. And so on our last trip to India, um, we tried to book a train and it was just, it was nine, I think it was 90 days in advance or it was a long time in advance and the train was that was just sold out. So I think those are the things is to, you know, understand what type of traveler you are, how chill are you and how, you know, do you want to figure things out on the fly? Um, and then what do you need to book in advance? And I think those are just the questions you need to ask and it's going to be different for every country. Um, you know, it's kind of like in the U.S. too. If you want to go to the Grand Canyon, you can't just show up in yeah. high season, and you know, there's just is everything's booked. Um, so it really is asking the right questions, um, and then understanding what type of trip you want. Yeah. And maybe you know, maybe a package trip where somebody else does everything and just puts it together, and you pay three grand and it's done. Maybe that's the right fit. You know. Yeah. It is. It is for some people.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today and um, we'll have to do a recap when we get back from Sicily.
0: I would love, and I, it sounds like you guys are doing that um, Nona Giovanna cooking class.
1: I believe so. That
0: email to Chiara works. So that's. Great.
1: I think so. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you, I, we we can't um, thank you enough for everything you've done to help us out. And um, yeah, we'll for sure have to have a big like breakdown and laugh session after we get back and all that so
0: well yeah and that's the great thing about what i do is i love italy so much and i really care that i really want the people that i work with to love it and so i have like with you guys i mean i have i know it's it's a it's a little bit limited in terms of i'm really busy and so maybe i you know um don't write super long emails or whatever but um i really care about your trip and i and so i often get people writing me like essays of you know how great their trip was.
1: Yeah, well we're looking forward to it. So um all right, give us your website.
0: So it's Italy Beyond the Obvious
1: Okay. And um any like social media, Facebook, Instagram, anything like that?
0: Yep. Yeah, everything. Uh it's all Italy Beyond the Obvious. Okay. Italy Beyond the Obvious on Facebook, Italy Beyond the Obvious on Instagram, Italy Beyond the Obvious on Pinterest
1: okay i'm new to pinterest so i'm just figuring that one out but i'll i'll find you on there but but i madeline again i really appreciate it and um i know tiff and you probably have many more emails back and forth before we go but um i mean you've been a huge help and i can't recommend what you do enough to anybody that's listening to the podcast so so thank you so much and we'll, we'll catch up again soon okay thanks so much thank you have a great day you too big thank you to madeline for making the time to sit down and talk about her company italy and just making our minds wander also as always thank you to dj soul rising for the music for the intro and the outro www.soulsolrising.com the episode can be found on all of your favorite platforms stitcher and itunes as well as our website NostalgiaChocolates.com. Visit the website today, check out the chocolate, listen to the episode, and let your mind wander.